when Brad looked at this, he said, oh, we usually read this at weddings, right? How many of you have heard this scripture read at a wedding? How many of you used it at your wedding? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, uh, this passage is used so often, I'm actually surprised when a couple does not choose it. It just is sort of ubiquitous at weddings. It's what we kind of expect to hear when we come to a wedding. But the Apostle Paul did not write this hymn of love for couples getting married. Far from it. He wrote these words in a letter to a church that he had founded in the city of Corinth, Greece, a church that was in the midst of crisis. Though faith in Christ had brought this congregation together, conflict in almost every aspect of their common life was tearing them apart. Among other things, the church members were engaged in one-upmanship, boasting about their spiritual gifts while scorning the gifts of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the chapter just before this, Paul carefully addresses this situation, reminding the Corinthians that each and every person had been given gifts by the Holy Spirit and that all such gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Some, he acknowledged, had been blessed with wisdom and some with knowledge. Some had received the gift of healing while others received the gift of prophecy. Some were able to speak in tongues or spiritual language, while others were able to interpret such language. All these, he writes, are activated by the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Paul goes on to compare the church to a body with many diverse members, all of which are needed for the body to be healthy. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, he writes. And God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, he asks, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all inter interpret? The implication here is no. Of course not. Then Paul writes, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. A better interpretation of the Greek in that last sentence would be, and I will show you a way that is beyond measuring. Brian Peterson points out that this wording is important because measuring themselves, their abilities, and their status relatives to one another seems to have become something of an obsession within the Corinthian church. Paul does not hesitate to address this destructive competition head-on. He tells the Corinthians, look, if I am able to speak eloquently in human tongues or even in the tongues of angels, but I don't have love. Anything I say is just noise. If I have the power to prophesy, or I possess all the world's knowledge, or if I have faith great enough to move mountains, but I don't have love, all my gifts are worth nothing. If I give everything away, even my life to serve God, but I don't do so in love, my sacrifice is pointless. If your hearts are not filled with love, he tells the Corinthians, any spiritual gifts you have are useless and empty of meaning. 
Those are pretty strong words. And they lead me to ask how Paul defines love. What is love? I remember asking that question a few weeks ago, and I kind of turned to the choir and said, what is love? And maybe three or four of you gave me an answer, and you know all the answers were different. Everybody has their own definition of what love is. So maybe it's good to ask. So Paul, what is love? Paul gives his answer in verses 4 through 7. And here again, our English translation falls a little short, for Paul does not describe what love is, but what love does. And you can almost hear his underlying questions to this wayward congregation. To love, he writes, is to be patient and to act with kindness. How do you act, brothers and sisters? He asks the Corinthians. Love does not envy others or boast of its own accomplishment or act in ways that are arrogant or rude. But do you, my children? Love is not self-seeking, insisting on its own way, nor is it irritable or resentful. But is this how you are with one another? My friends, Paul says, are you rejoicing in wrongdoing or in the truth? Are you bearing all things together? Do you believe in the value of each other's gifts and encourage one another to use those gifts in God's service? Are you enduring your troubles together and sharing hope with one another? This is what love is, or rather does, Paul says. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. As much as we'd like to think so, it's not something that spontaneously arises in us. Love, real love, is a choice. And it's the way we are supposed to be in relationship with one another in this thing we call church. We all know this, of course. We all know that love is important. We know that Jesus said we are to love God and our neighbor, and that includes our neighbors in the pew. And we do. We do love each other, right? We pray for one another. We help one another. We worry about one another. We're glad for one another. We do love one another. But I know that there are also times when I complain about another person or talk about another person in unkind ways or pass along gossip. And there are times when I am too impatient to listen to another and times when I insist on my way is the right way and the only way. And when I pull back if I don't get my way. And there are times when I feel resentful of another person, especially if that person is interfering in an area or situation that I have claimed as my own. And there are times when I feel like I have more to offer than others. And there are far too many times when I judge others to be wanting. Anyone else here ever feel that way? Sadly, such ways of acting don't just affect our relationships with each other in this church. They also affect our witness to the world. As Kate, Catherine Huey notes in her commentary on this passage, our church ought to be the beginning again place of love. And the love we offer should be a spiritual gift in itself, a gift of healing and hope, a promise of what could be yet be in persons' lives and in the life of the church because they are now there too. 
Would that it were so. But the truth is that even though we know that love is crucial to our relationships and we want to love one another, we're all still learning how to love. None of us can claim to have completely fulfilled the commandments to love God with all our strength and heart and mind and soul and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. No, love is not easy and each one of us falls short. So what can we do? I think first of all, we can remember the truth expressed in 1 John 4, 19. We love because God first loved us. It is the love of God, a love from which Paul asserts in Romans 8, nothing can ever separate us. A love that we know and receive through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A love that ever ends. This is the bedrock of our faith and the basis for our hope. Last night, just before I went to bed, I was reading an article on a woman who had been suffering from depression and when drugs didn't work, her, her psychiatrist said, why don't you go on a spiritual retreat? And she did, thinking, ah, nothing's going to happen. I don't know why I signed up for this day of silence. But she heard words that sank, sat with her and sat with me when I read them. God is here and I am loved. Say that. God is here and I am loved. Just keep thinking that in your mind. God is here and I am loved. Thanks be to God for that love that never ends, that is always there for us no matter what. We also need to remember that love is primary in all the gifts that God gives us. As important as other gifts seem now, Paul says, the spiritual gifts that we hold so dear will one day be obsolete. As for prophecies, he writes, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. After all, Paul says, even our most perceptive prophesying and our greatest knowledge is only partial. No one can claim to prophesy perfectly or to have complete knowledge. And I like the way Eugene Peterson translates Paul's next words in the message. We only know a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete comes, our incompletes will be canceled. Right now, Paul says, we are like little children. We're looking in a foggy mirror. But we are growing toward maturity in the faith and someday in the fullness of God's time, when God's reign is fulfilled, when that great getting up morning comes, we will see everything clearly. We will know fully, even as we have been fully known by the one who loves us regardless. What about now? Is there any spiritual gift that has lasting value? Paul's answer rings loud and clear. But now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. And then he says, pursue love. Pursue love. 
Melissa Bain-Sevier comments, when Paul talks about love, it sounds a bit lofty, elevated really, almost perfection. If I were writing about love, she says, expressed in community, it wouldn't be so idealistic. I'd probably say things like, love is hard. Love is complicated and messy. Sometimes love is almost impossible. Maybe that's what you're thinking about Paul's words. How could we possibly pursue the kind of love that he describes? Melissa goes on, but Paul is wiser than I. He gives us a lofty aerial view so that when we get back on the ground, we remember not just what love is, but what love is supposed to be. Above the clouds of conflict and stress, we imagine the beauty, the simplicity of loving each other despite our conflicts and differences. So that when our feet hit the dirt again, we have the ideal in mind as we attempt to put love into action. As we decide to pursue love. Okay, so given Paul's beautiful words, what might such love look like in our context, in our church here in El Segundo? Certainly, it would involve praying for one another, but also reaching out with tangible gestures of kindness and care to those whom we hold in prayer. It would mean speaking words of encouragement and expressing gratitude, not just thinking it. It would look like sharing leadership rather than clinging to it ourselves. It would mean listening to each other with careful respect and really trying to understand another's position when we have a difference of opinion, which sometimes means we have to be quiet. It would mean being patient with each other and forgiving one another, really forgiving one another. It would look like going out of our way to welcome and be helpful to newcomers without expecting anything in return. It would mean giving our time and energy graciously and generously. It would mean actively supporting and building up our children and youth. It would mean cultivating and taking joy, joy in the relationships and the friendships that we share. I don't know about you, but I often come to church. I don't have that today. Usually I have a little post-it on my uh, folder in here, and it's got a list. People I need to talk to, things I need to take care of, questions to ask. Kind of amazing there's not one on there today. I hope I didn't forget anything. <laughs> but what if my agenda on that list, what if it didn't say, here's who you need to talk to, da da da, da but what if it said, love, What if we came to church with that agenda? What if we came to church in eager anticipation of the love that we might give and receive? What if we made a habit of noticing loving gestures and giving thanks? What if we dared to pursue love in every meeting, every gathering, every encounter in this place? Oh, if we did this, my friends, 
If love was the motive behind all of our actions and all of our words, if kindness and patience and humility and generosity and honesty and gratitude and caring were authentically present in our relationships here in this church, I think all of our gifts would be used to the fullest and we would truly be a blessing to one another. I also think we would be a blessing to the people of this community you see, when we practice love here, it not only enlivens and enriches our church, but it spills over into our daily lives, into our workplaces, our schools, our businesses, and our homes. And when that happens, it just might encourage others to want to experience the blessing of that love for themselves. Paul's words are beautiful when they're read at weddings, but they shouldn't be just reserved for those occasions. More than ever, we need them now. We need to be reminded of that which binds us together and overrides all our differences. We need to hear once again, and now faith, hope, love abide, these three. And the greatest of these the gift that is freely given, the calling that we are to pursue is love. May it be so. Amen.